Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Matt Deacon. On the show today, it's a Rage Off special. No, wait, to come back. Uh, you've got to remember, over half a billion pounds of advertising rests on this data. Uh, so whilst radio has been a lifesaver to some during the pandemic, this is the industry's first insight that they've had for nearly 18 months. And it will likely impact media businesses beyond audio too. Uh, for example, how did Times Radio do? Well, we'll be speaking to launch director Stig Abel. We'll also chat to another exec who launched a new station, Boom Radio, and what it all means for their businesses. Plus, how's Graham Norton got on? Where are the young people? And has coronavirus been BBC local radio's saviour? That's all coming up in this edition of the Media Podcast. And joining me today is the co-founder of Boom Radio and former head of Chrysalis Radio, Phil Riley. Now, we're recording this on Wednesday, the day the figures were released to stations, but before the embargo is lifted on Thursday. Phil, did you get much sleep last night before getting your numbers? No, I had a very, very restless night. Uh, I woke up this morning and went shopping to do some displacement activity to try and just take my mind off the fact that we were so close to rage R numbers. I mean, it's been five, six years since I had the cold sweat of a rage R night, rage R morning. So it was, uh, it was yeah, pretty nervous. Yeah, didn't you supposed to have given up all of this? Uh, why, why did you think, actually, I'm going to get back into it and launch a radio station? Well, it's all David Lloyd's fault. I mean, he, he, you know, bamboozled me into doing it. I was quite happily, uh, you know, to being doing a bit of consulting and helping out people here and there. And he persuaded uh, persuaded me to jump back on board with Boom Radio. And it's been uh, crikey, what a roller coaster of a ride it's been. Uh, we, in fact, we we launched in 2021. We launched literally six weeks before this Rajar survey started because it's an extended Q3. So they've they've plucked some data from April and stuck it in there. So literally we were six weeks old when this uh, survey started. So I think we've done pretty, pretty well. Well, we'll get more into Boom a little bit later on. Um, also back on the show is Anne Charles from Radio TechCon. Uh, Anne, Radio TechCon's back in November. Uh, what is it, if people don't know, and what have you got lined up? 
Uh, so Radio TechCon is the UK radio and audio industry's technical and engineering event. So it's the place to be if you want to know about the future of radio or if you work in technology and engineering or you're a producer who enjoys pushing tech to the limit or a manager who wants to know what's going on. Yeah, 29th of November, we're back in a virtual format again this year. So um, we've got a, a pandemic discount on our tickets. So they're £99 plus VAT. But we also have a bursary scheme running and the closing date for that is the 31st of October. So if you have had a particularly difficult pandemic and uh, you know you're facing financial issues or you're just from a background that's really underrepresented in broadcast engineering then you can go to our website you can apply there are 11 places available so um, a huge proportion of our uh, like, we have two bursary schemes so about 10% of our audience is there on an, an assisted place and a really nice thing this year is that the bursary winners um, are also going to get a free year's membership to the Radio Academy as well so that's a nice bonus too but you should come anyway for all of our talks and sessions <laughs> and if you buy a ticket you get a special box in the post as well you're going to get yeah you're going to get goodie box in a post you're going to get a whole day of amazing talks we're going to have a really interactive virtual format as well and a virtual pub in the evening because we are engineers after all <laughs> great uh, so we're here to take a deep dive into the listening figures for the radio industry which unlike telly which has their overnights research well radio hasn't had any data since march 2020 uh, but before we start sifting through it here's some unnecessary production to round up all the key data in a section we're calling the roundup <laughs> Times Radio comes out well, reaching 637,000 listeners a week. Uh, Top-line Virgin Radio numbers are good, with 1.6 million listeners a week. Up on the last data, probably driven by Graham Norton's 560,000 listeners to his new weekend show, but it's not so good news for Chris Evans, who drops below a million. Just above a million is Simon Mayo, who has nearly 1.2 million listeners on the new Greatest Hits Radio Drive Time show. Uh, there is great numbers from BBC Local Radio, who added a million listeners, this is BBC Local Radio in England, after previously being pretty much in, in long-term decline, so a big change for them. Uh, radio 4 and Radio 2 remaining rude health, uh, with similar figures to last time. Uh, radio 1 seems to have lost a large chunk of its audience. Its 15-plus reach is now 8.2 million, and not great news for KISS either, who've lost a quarter of their listeners and a third of their hours. Uh, now, both Radio 1 and KISS have been affected by 15 to 24s dropping back for all, all radio listening. There's 8% less of them tuning into the radio and the amount they're listening has dropped too. It's down 16%. So, Phil, first off, your station, Boom Radio, 233,000 weekly listeners and 1.8 million hours. Is that what you expected? It's way more than we expected. I had said it you know, to myself and to, to David, if we get a six-figure number, we'll be okay. Given that we are a startup, bunch of you know old-age pensioners in our bedrooms, basically doing this, a uh, bunch of mates trying to try to do something, you know, literally uh, uh, starting, you know, lifting us ourselves up by our bootstraps without any corporate backing, without huge. A financial resource, uh, just relying on a bit of PR, a bit of Facebook marketing here and there. Uh, and so to get, you know, almost a quarter of a million listeners right off the bat, particularly, as I said, Matt, because this survey covered 
the period from six weeks after we launched. We barely, barely touched the sides of uh, listeners at that point. So all of that taken into consideration, not only is the reach fantastic, but actually average hours of 7.8. I was looking down the commercial radio, national uh, listening figures. We're pretty much up there. There's maybe two or three stations got better average hours than that, but 7.8 is pretty punchy, I think, for a for a launch station. So if people don't know, um, give me the quick elevator pitch for, for Boom Radio. We're a station aimed at baby boomers, people from their mid to late 50s through to their early mid 70s. Uh, we're designed to fill a gap that commercial radio really has has not done so far. We're also obviously aiming to try and attract those people for whom Radio 2's shift younger, which we all know about, um, means that they feel perhaps a bit disenfranchised by what music offering the BBC has for them. And, and so far, certainly, that's all the evidence that we've got, is that we are pulling, by and large, 60-70% of our listeners are Radio 2 listeners, many of them completely giving up Radio 2. I mean, Radio 2 is still a huge station, has done very well in this survey, but our um, very early evidence is that there is a real appetite out there for what we're doing uh, and, and hopefully we can prize more listeners away over time. And demos wise, have you, and you talked about it being kind of 50 plus, 55 plus, um, are, those, are those demos what's tuning in? Yeah, 55 plus is oh, almost 90% of all of our listening is 55 plus and pretty much a third is 55, 64, two thirds, 65, 74, which given we're our target is 60 to 74 that's exactly what you'd expect to be uh, the overall number so actually we one of the things we were worried about was whether or not people over the age of 65 70 might just struggle to find us um, because you know they're just a bit you know or their perception is they're a bit technophobic but actually they seem to have found us pretty well and uh, our listening is almost 50 50 split between DAB and online. So almost half of all that listening is online, which I think goes to supporting this general view that actually the pandemic has caused an awful lot of older people to really up their game as far as being digitally aware and being capable of using digital devices because they've had to. And that, I think, has spilled over into radio. And, And actually, at a broader level, I mean, the big winner out of these, this survey compared to a couple of years ago is online listing, which is up 40%, I think. Dab's up 10, online is at 40, and analog is down about 20, I think, if you compare it to, to you know, the same survey in 2019. Well, let's come on to platforms in a bit. Uh, and looking at the overall picture, there's actually been a sort of a slight drop back um, in listening to commercial radio, and the BBC has sort of nipped a little bit ahead. Do you think that's because people turn to a public broadcaster in a time of crisis or does it is it saying something else? I think that it is probably because of the pandemic and people wanting access to information and speech and having a slight interruption in their normal routines. So definitely people tuning in to listen to more people listening to briefings, getting updates and having those people who are furloughed just having some more time in the day to have a listen and and tune into stuff because a commercial station if you've got a really tight rotation of music is not something that people are designed to be listening to for long periods of time anymore in terms of music so uh, yeah it's, it's good news for speech content I think. 
and there's obviously been a huge amount of consumer change hasn't there over this period and it's not we've like we've particularly all gone back to what life was like in the before times lots of people are now split between home and work and that at home environment which has always been very strong for radio um people have got a bit more control at home haven't they and they can uh, choose how they listen probably a bit more easier than they can in the office yeah and and also i think that overall i think that it's still 89 percent overall isn't it which is the same as the last set of figures we had so it doesn't seem that there's been a massive drop off in listening overall which is good news just potentially the balance of how people are listening although I know that we've got some slight differences in how the figures have been collected this year which I guess you're going to come to in a bit. Um, Phil you talked about platform there so I had a quick look at platforms earlier Uh, and to me the thing that that really sort of stuck out was that uh, analog listening. And so if you're sort of new to the radio research world and you think, what the hell are we talking about? There's kind of two numbers that we look at. We look at reach, which is how many people tune into a radio station. And then we look at hours, which is like the volume of consumption. Cause a lot of advertising is connected to hours. And analogs hours, so people listening to AM, FM radio, is nearly down to a third of listening. So like a two thirds of all listening now is digital. And and as you said there, um, people listening on the internet, um, internet now has about a third of the country are tuning in listening that way. uh, And um, the hours consumed has gone up from 14% to 18%. Um, I mean, this is fundamental shifts, isn't it, Phil, into how people are, are consuming the wireless? Yeah, and I don't think it's going to change. Uh, I think the trends that we're seeing are just going to accelerate. And the thing, of course, that's driving this online growth uh, is the rise of smart speakers, because it's so easy for somebody to buy a smart speaker, plug it in and say, play Boom Radio and put your name of your smart speaker before it. And that works. And I think that's driven a lot of our listening. And I'm glad that we launched it at a point in time where this new platform for radio consumption has has become mainstream and people understand the you know alexa play something um and i think as well as uh smart speakers you're also seeing people a bit more comfortable about using apps and phone apps and, and we certainly as well as smart speakers see people saying oh yeah i've got me on my phone and uh you know i'm listening to you all day on the, on the phone so it's a remarkable uh, turnaround from 10, 15 years ago, um, uh, and it can only get more uh, more driven, I think, by smart speakers. The expectation from th- that industry is that they're going to be selling millions of these devices, millions more of these devices every year, and I would expect this Christmas there's going to be a huge uh, uptick in, in, in numbers, and you know, you, you need to have a smart speaker strategy, I think, as a radio station to take advantage of that. I was looking at the Boom Radio How to Listen page. It is a long page. You know, there is a there is a, a lot of different platforms and an explanation on there. I mean, is 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 that trouble for you? You know, you're communicating to, as you were saying, an older audience who are, who are getting to use these things, and some of that's driven by speaking to family on Zoom over the pandemic or uh, upgrading upgrading their phones. Yeah, I think older listeners need their hand holding a bit more, so we have to do a bit more of that. Hopefully, we're pretty good at that. Uh, but I think it's also just simply the fact that you can now, and people do, consume radio via analog radio sets, which we're not on, but digital radio sets, which we are on. And, and we are one of those odd hybrid radio stations. We're on DAB Plus across a lot of the country, but we're also on DAB in London, just historic accident. Uh, and that causes 
as to need to explain things more to people, but you can get us on your uh, PC, on your laptop, on your iPad, on your phone, uh, on your smart speaker. So there are just so many more ways now for people to consume radio that you really do need to think about uh, how to hold their hand. And And I suspect we've come at this because we're brand new, thinking really right from the get go, how do we help people find us? I suspect a lot of traditional broadcasters who've been in the business for a long time and whose platforms are DAB and or FM principally uh, probably have thought about streaming and online as a a nice-to-have add-on. I think they're going to have to change that view because I think online is going to increasingly become a very significant part of their their broadcast um, audience uh, collection. And it's great for revenue as well, isn't it? With online listeners, especially at a point when you haven't had Rajar, um, those uh, those ads in your stream, which are, are sold dynamically, uh, bring you in a bit of dosh. Our, our bacon has been saved by the great people at D- uh, DAX uh, who've done a tremendous job for us. So hats off to them. Uh, and long may that continue. And because we've got this interesting split between DAX revenue and DAB revenue we've now got two different companies selling our airtime nationally so it'll be fascinating for us to see how those two revenue streams compare but uh, Rajar is obviously an essential part of selling yourself to ad agencies so we're just so thrilled that we've actually got some Rajar numbers in now and can now go and talk uh, to agencies and and get them to come on board as well because up until now some agencies have bought us directly via DAX but others have said we can't touch you until you get some numbers which is so frustrating but now we can at least go out and shout about uh, Boom Radio. So uh, someone else who's in a similar situation to you Phil uh, is Stig Abel. He was the launch director of Times Radio. He's now the executive editor at Wireless and co-host of the Times Radio Breakfast Show. Here's his reaction to his numbers. I think it's it's slightly beyond my expectations. I mean, you never know because it's our first radar. It's very strange times. This is the sort of quarter that's the summer as well. So you don't quite know what's what's going on. And, you know, we've been waiting for this for 15, 16 months. I mean, we, we only launched 16 months ago. So uh, we didn't quite know what to expect. But the, the feeling we have is that this is pretty good. We're pretty happy with it. And it's the first and hopefully a, a whole series of, of stepping stones for us as well. So the number is 637,000 weekly listeners. Yeah. What did you expect? Because you must have had a number that you you would at least hope you'd hit when you were, you were doing your breakfast show every day. Yeah, I mean, we were plan- when we were planning this, and again, you know, we launched this on June the 29th, 2020. So that was really mid-pandemic, you know, just as lockdown was starting to loosen. And we thought we'd get a radar within by the end of the year really and a lot of our our planning was based on finding out our number quite quickly and of course we, we never have done and we've been looking at numbers like the connected listening numbers but you never know your ratio you never know how many are your DAB listeners compared to your connected listeners so we were, were a bit in the dark we felt that about this time 500,000 was good was par I think for us uh, and we hoped it was going to be that we hoped it'd be a bit more and I think 637 feels feels good i mean i think you know there's people are walking around times radio with a spring in the step uh, the commercial guy i got the results with the whole i mean I, you know this map when the, the results come out it's very weird i've never done it before actually and so we're all we went to a floor in the in our building and it was just a, a bunch of people huddled around a computer 
And all of the wireless numbers came out. And then the Times Radio page wasn't there. And I was oh, God, why is there no numbers for Times Radio? And then it came out. And then um, we got the hours. And the, you know, you know what, exactly what it's like. But the commercial guy for wireless said, oh, I've just got goosebumps. So he was really pleased because he's been trying to sell Times Radio to sponsors completely blind. And uh, the fact that he got goosebumps, I think, was probably the sign that, that, that this is a pretty good number for us. Well, a little birdie told me that your advertisers had been told that it'd probably be around half a million. So if you were lower than that, yeah. you'd be sending checks back to them, I'm sure. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a difficult game, isn't it, all of this? But we, <laughs> and we've had, we've had 30, people, 30 companies, more than 30, I think, sponsors in the first, different shows in the first uh, 15, 16 months, which is a real article of faith isn't it? Because, you know, they didn't really know who were, who were listening to us. And, and I think that um, what we had a feeling of was that we felt there was an audience there. And we also felt that people, if they liked us, they did like us. And they listened for a while. And actually, the, 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 the hours number is, is particularly good for us. It's sort of averaged out over five hours a, uh, a listener a week, which is really good for us, I think. And we just had this sense. And we did so funny things like we did competitions for sponsors. And we got far more uh, respondents than we actually thought we'd ever would do, and more than other people in in our building would have, even with bigger uh, with bigger mm. reaches. So it felt that we had this kind of, and it feels like some of the breakfast show. I mean, the thing I love about the breakfast show is several things, uh, but one of them is we get quite a lot of interaction. We don't have callers. We're not a phoning station. We always said we never would be. Um, but there's just this feeling of a bunch of people out there, and th- that's what's nice a bit about rage. I mean, you and I know it's a funny old methodology. It's a funny old thing. <laughs> But just a bit of confirmation that there's people out there is a, is, is a good feeling as well. And so where does this sit in amongst the Times brand? So you've obviously got the, the newspaper, the, the weekly, the Saturday, the Sunday, Sunday Times. You've got what the website does, podcasts. You know, h- how does this feel amongst all, all, of, all of your products? What I think it is, is we're now, as so everyone else is having to be a digital first business. And I think that what the Times and the Sunday Times, like the Sunday Times and the Times have become over the last few years very profitable. They're a very well-managed business. They're, they're in growth. They're growing digital subscribers. And they want to be a digital, and they are a digital first business. And the great thing about digital radio is we're naturally a digital first business. We've not had to transform any newsrooms. We've not had to do anything structural because we came out, there's a digital radio station that's live 18 hours uh, or 20 hours a day rather. In actually a world where not that many competitors are doing that, that, you know, if something interesting happens, we don't really have much furniture that we have to sort of tiptoe around. So we are a very live station. We've got correspondents all over the world, thanks to the Times and the Sunday Times. So it feels that we are a kind of paradigm of a digital first thing in a business that is now digital first that takes broadcasting very seriously. So we've always slotted in. I always used to say this before we launched. We always fitted in, I felt, with the future of the business very well and you know we perform a couple of functions for the business but one of the main ones is to say here is the journalism of collectively the times and the sunday times that helps us with our with our content we help them with with, with reaching probably a new audience uh, a different audience which is what we always said we'd try and do so i think we fit in pretty nicely with where the business wants to go so picking up on that um you know, what what's your job is it to bring in dosh uh, and just some cash for the bank account is it to drive subscribers is it a brand halo effect um you know what's what's your boss saying you need to be doing it's all of those things and i think you actually wrote a blog just as we launched which is a very um perspicacious blog because i think what it said was absolutely right that we've got to try 
this is a this is a virtue i think we have multiple strands to what we're doing we don't want to just be judged on rage we don't want to be judged just on commercialization um because that would have been very difficult for us with 15 months without rage at all if we were purely being judged on how many sponsors we could get in it's a real bar if if the if the currency of sponsorship and commercial activity is rajar and you don't get one for your entire life for the first 15 16 months that would be a real difficulty for us i mean we're a big company uh, with a vision which i do a strategic vision you know we've got longevity sort of hardwired into us which is good and it's kind of healthy in that respect but it wasn't the be all and end all for us you know our one of our aims is to solidify the journalism of the sunday times and the times uh, to bring more people to it uh, to help churn i mean the digital business as you know subscription business so much of it's about finding people and then keeping them and you know from what we can see from some of our internal modeling that if people subscribe to the times and listen to times radio they're less likely to churn because although times radio is free it makes you even more part of the gang, part of the family, part of the community. And that's quite important for a subscription business. So um, I think we're judged on uh, on reach and listening figures, on hours. We're judged on what revenue now will bring in on the back of knowing our, knowing our listenership, so sponsorship and other commercial opportunities. And we're judged on whether we are part of the digital first brand of the Times and the Sunday Times. And at the minute, all of those three things are, are kind of aligning. Uh, and diving into the numbers a little bit, had a bit of a look at the shows on Times Radio and how the, sh- the individual shows were doing. So Breakfast Show is the number one show on, on the station, which happens at lots of radio stations. But Matt Chorley, very, very close to your Breakfast Show figures. Uh, are you worried that he's going to come in and scoop up the most listeners? No, I, I love I'm really, actually, I'm really chuffed with, with Matt's show. I'm, I'm chuffed with all of them in different ways because you've got to remember that 17, 18 months ago, this was just a whiteboard. We were trying to launch this thing and we're trying to work out who would fit in where. And we had Matt down really early on as a Times asset, funny, quirky, really a, a show that had done the Red Box podcast. So he felt there was a show that in embryo already. And that's been proven. But again, it's part of the community. You know, lots of people, when Matt does his show, you know, he goes around the, the country sometimes, been to the party conferences, he went to Cheltenham. Loads of people come up to him and say how much they love him, but how much they like breakfast, how much they like Mariella Frostia. We're always bigging up Callum McDonald, who does the early breakfast. We're looking ahead to, to, to Carol Walker and Phil Williams, John Pinar at Jive. The thing I wanted, honestly, at the start was a kind of community where everyone this isn't always true on radio stations everyone is is supportive of each other we really want everyone to do well you know we genuinely quite like each other you know i don't want to work in a place and i've worked in places like this before where there's where people are backstabbing each other people it's all about their ego and actually one of the the, the ethos of the of the station was we're not going to interrupt people we don't want hectoring presenters we don't want me 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 presenters who burst in and make it all about them we want people who represent the listener you know, I always use the, you know, I always say this of asthma and me, we're useful idiots. We're kind of people who want to try and ask the questions that other people are thinking when they're listening at home. So having that kind of ego-less or ego, small ego environment was really important to me when we were picking people. And, you know, Matt Chorley, there is, is, I'm, I'm pleased for him. Well, give it, give it time. Give it time. I'm sure that, I'm sure that yeah, will grow. Um, so obviously when, when you started, there was a lot of coverage saying um, it's there to attack Radio 4, which is kind of doesn't doesn't really work um it's a very different kind of radio beast established um operation where do you think your listeners have come from i don't know that yet that's a really interesting question that we don't fully know i mean one of the things i've seen but you correct me because you probably looked at the figures more closely than I have, i've really sort of focused on our own figures 
it feels like the sector as a whole is pretty healthy. And I said, again, from the beginning, I was very keen on this idea of a sort of golden age of speech radio. I do feel that, and, and podcasts, I think, contribute. I think there's a golden age of audio in this country, uh, whether it be podcasts, whether it be, be live radio. So it felt to me that we were never obviously going to attack anyone, particularly not something that's got 100 years and, uh, and, and the weight of the state around it. It just seems ridiculous to even, even talk about that. So I don't think we're, you know, I'd like to believe, and I hope the industry recognises this, we're a good thing for the industry. Mm. We're going to bring in some people that weren't listening to, to, to the radio. We want to do that for the Times. We want to do it for everyone. I don't think our success comes at the expense of other people. But I, in the end, this is our first bit of data properly from Radio. So we'll have to see. I don't get a massive sense mm. we know where people are coming from. And I'd like to think that some of the things we've done is bring some people into the industry as a whole. I think particularly probably into commercial radio from uh, from the BBC. Um, uh, so, yeah, and look, commercial radio, I mean, as you know, it's not, it's good that people come into, you know, we're, we're kind of, we're unashamedly commercial. There's nothing wrong with being commercial. And sometimes there's a bit of sniffiness and snootiness. And I hope when these figures come out, we people avoid that type of commentary because I, I think commercial radio is people taking a punt. They're not backed by anything um, other than their desire to make the business work. Uh, and that's a really risky thing in lots of ways. And in, 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 in lots of ways, it's a really credible thing. Because you're basically saying, here's this product that we've crafted and we want people to come find us. And, you know, this is stage one on a thing for us. You know, I've got vast ambitions for Times Radio. I always have that not taking on big leviathons, but just to build something that, that's, that's substantial. And, and I kind of hope this is, this is sort of step one on that. Uh, one last thing before for I sure. go. Can you explain to me how cement grows? Yeah, we 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 are happily staying away from the great cement group. although i see that they're so happy that I mean, they keep tweeting about it talk radio we actually played a bit of it on our breakfast show because it was we do a lot of viral stuff and it was clearly the viral thing but uh uh, we, we want to achieve growth even greater than cement can achieve that's that's the aim of times radio so, and the Times aimed to sort of temper reaction to their results, saying before that they'd be happy with half a million reached. Uh, but the, their message from the start was pretty clear. You know, if they wanted to get an audience, it's likely to kind of come off the BBC. Um, do you think they're a station that has, has thrived with some audience moving away from Radio 4 or 5 Live? I'm sure they're really, really pleased with their result. And, um, and it's really nice to have new stations popping up and doing well. I think that they haven't necessarily brought as many... Pe- they've, they've brought a lot of production staff over from the BBC and there is some natural moving between the two. I certainly listened to them quite a lot when they were newly launched. Their hours compared... I guess they're probably going to be looking against Five Live and LBC, probably good comparators. And so their hours are, are down compared with both of those. And I suppose they are slightly hampered because they are... I think they're mainly on DAB Plus at the moment as well as online. So... For example, some radios are just not going to pick that station up yet. Some people in their target demographic can't find them. Um, my parents and grandparents' radios are old enough that they they can't access Times Radio on their on their sets at the moment. Um, so yeah, I mean, if they were aiming for half a million and they got six hundred thirty-seven thousand, then they would be really really pleased. And yeah, I I well, I hope they had cakes in the office today. That sounds really good. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Phil, um, you know, over 600,000 a week, I presume quite a lot of that's ABC One. Do you think this seems a pretty viable long-term prospect? I think they've done extraordinarily well. And I think they've given that they were only nine months old when this survey started, I think they've got a pretty good shot at getting to a million. And I think Anne's right that their average hours are lower than you would expect for a talk station. 
uh, I, I suspect that's probably because you're trying to steal listeners away from very entrenched other stations with fantastic breakfast shows. I mean, the Radio 4 Today programme uh, and Nick Ferrari on LBC and uh, even Julie Hartley Brewer on, on Talk Radio and the, and the guys on Talk Sport, you know, that's where the big hitters are. So it's very difficult to prize them away. And I think if you, if you can't win at breakfast time, you're going to struggle to get fantastic hours. So they're probably picking up a lot of secondary listing, which is why the, their numbers are not quite uh, as big as they could be. But I, I suspect from a commercial perspective, if they could aim at maybe a million hours and average hours of 10, something like that, so they're a bit of a 10 million hour station, then if they're ABC1 driven and they're selling packages with the times they're going to do okay on that but as you have said all along Matt which I agree with part of the rationale for Times Radio is to drive subscribers to the newspaper and that's something that they will have internal information on won't they already they'll know how well that's going it it was interesting Stig just said that their internal data has suggested that Times radio listeners are less likely to churn out as Times subscribers. And the the Times subscription can be quite an expensive investment, can't it? You know, so stopping churn churn is potentially very valuable. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think we're going to see more uh, partnerships between radio stations and newspapers. We've had a couple of great partnerships so far with the Daily Mail and the Telegraph. And that's principally because our demographics fit fit there so well. The Times is obviously aiming slightly younger uh, than Boom Radio, but the, nevertheless, I think there is a synergy between radio stations and newspapers that that means there's a real synergistic benefit to them working uh, more closely together. And certainly, you know, I think from our perspective, that's true. And I, and I suspect, um, you know, it's true from the Times. And of course. With the very big radio stations, there's a slight imbalance there between them and newspapers. But actually, for, for us smaller guys, we, we can, you know, I think we can help and not, uh, it's, it's not such a huge cash capital drain for a newspaper to get involved with, with us in the way that it might be with one or two of the bigger guys. And those conversion figures, because that's something that I was thinking about as well, are something that would be fascinating to find out, but they'll never tell us, will they? <laughs> but in terms of their commercial arrangements and not having adverts and all of that kind of stuff and having sponsorship deals, it would be fascinating to see if that has brought them in the revenue stream that they were hoping for and if that's a model that other stations might be able to adopt. Because it's interesting if they are retaining their subscribers because they've got that brand awareness through listening to the radio because for example there isn't a kind of discount offer on their website if you're a radio listener or anything that I've seen so it must be it's a it's a really good tactic so I'm, I'm glad that that's worked for them that's really interesting. Uh, we'll be back with more analysis in this radio special after this. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. 
Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back. Phil and Anna still with me. Uh, let's cover some more of the fallout from these uh, very unique set of radars. So let's look at some quick fire. Uh, I want to do some quick fire responses to some things that, that I've noticed pop up. Um, first of all, 15 to 24s, they seem to be disappearing at quite a pace. Phil, is this an existential threat for the radio sector? It could very well be a significant problem over time. Uh, what would be interesting to look at, and obviously having done the data though here, is we've we've been seeing 15 to 24 decline for year after year after year after year, and we've all been going, oh my goodness, this is a real, real problem. Have 25 to 34s or even 35 to 44s remained stable over that time? Because of course, eventually 15 to 24s convert themselves into 25, 34s, etc. And so is it just that there are new things that 15 to 24s want to do, but actually over time they become radio listeners by habit and by default. Um, radio is still very strong over the age of 25, or is it that they lose the uh, attractiveness of radio completely? So I think that I, I would like to maybe have somebody, you know, somebody cleverer than me and with more data analytics skills look at that and say yes there is a longer term problem here uh, fingers crossed there isn't but yes there may very well be i think it looks pretty tough i think it looks pretty tough for that demo um and you know kiss and radio one both had quite a bad a bad book this time um and i think they're good radio stations i think what they're doing on airs is interesting is they're both a good listen kiss has gone through a lot of changes over the past uh, year which have been positive uh radio one good refreshed lineup um if, if you were running one of those radio stations what would you be thinking if you were looking at a, a load of red ink on your on your audience figures sheet I think I'll be adding to my, can we change the way we do the numbers? Because immediately the managers of those stations are going to be saying, but look at how many people are listening on our apps or how many people we had engaging on our TikTok. Um, audio, a live audio is one part of the puzzle, isn't it, for those kind of brands? It's possibly also an opportunity to really engage again with our content, because I think that the thing that radio does really well but it forgets to sell as its USP is that we're really good at live live and dangerous and interactive 
And that's something that um, other platforms can't manage in the same way. So I would be spinning like hell to say it's absolutely fine because we've still got our audience. They're just not sitting down and ticking a diary. They're, they're elsewhere. Uh, Phil, talent's um, always at the, at the heart of um, successful radio stations. Uh, it's interesting looking at you know, Graham Norton, his, his first book with Virgin. Uh, he's got about half a million listeners a week. Uh, Chris Evans was a big signing. He sort of dropped below a million. Uh, and Simon Mayo, 1.2 million listeners for his new Greatest Hits radio drive time show. And Greatest Hits itself is sort of the the result of a combination of a load of radio stations. Are Bauer going to be happy with what Simon and Greatest Hits have done? I think they will probably be happy with Greatest Hits. Um, I think they'll probably be more frustrated about the fact that after all of that angst and grief of the acquisition and the hold separate and how long that whole process took and all the rebranding, etc., that... If you go back two years, they were 40 million hours behind Global and you look at it now and they're still not that far off 40 million hours behind Global. So there's a, probably a big frustration there that so far they haven't managed to close that gap. And I know, you know, corporately, that will be an important thing for them because there is no doubt that being the biggest, the number one, will drive additional revenue to the to the top line and therefore additional profits to the bottom line. So they will be focused on how, how they can use these new brands to sort of leapfrog over global. I'm not sh- quite sure they're there yet with some of the headline numbers, but, you know, it's they're in a game, aren't they? There's a, there's a, it's all to play for. So I think they'll probably be pleased with the start, but I looking at the numbers, I think there's more to go. And, and in particular, I noticed that the London figure for greatest hits which of course took over from absolute on fm uh, showed quite a sharp decline in terms of the total amount of uh, reach and listening now that probably some of that's to be expected but they really probably have got a big job there to try and grow that to try and get it back to where it was and, and potentially beyond um you know and but they've got the talent in, inside both in front of the microphone and behind the glass to do that I mean, they spent, what, 80, 90, 100 million pounds buying those radio stations. Um, is that the best way to have spent that money to build out this network? Well, that's an interesting question, isn't it? Because you can <laughs> you can spin that either way. And there's certainly a case to be made for saying if we spent 80 million on marketing the brands that we had more effectively, would we have delivered... Uh, the growth that these acquisitions have given us and the revenue that these acquisitions have given us. Um, I, I suspect you'd never have got permission from Frankfurt to spend that money on marketing, whereas you probably would have got permission to spend it on acquiring them. So they probably you know, did the right thing. I feel, is it worth just saying that the, the methodology, how they put together this data has changed slightly, hasn't it? What have Rachel been up to? Well, they've done three things. Uh, the first is that they've uh, teamed up with the media cell guys who have a bit of software that sits on people's phones. There's a, a relatively small sample. I think it's about 3,000 people who use this media cell for passive monitoring of what they're consuming on radio and television. And that's now being sucked into the Rayard data ecosystem. They've also, because they're starting from scratch and knocking on doors is difficult, they've gone back to some old Rajar listeners and said, do you mind participating in a panel and, and doing this on a regular basis? And not, I don't think it's every week, but it's like once or once or twice in a, a quarter. Um, so they've got a panel 
base running alongside uh, their traditional knock-on doors uh, approach. And then finally, the knock-on doors has started again. But obviously, with the pandemic and all the other stuff that's gone on, that's more difficult to get back up to speed quickly, which is why they've got these other elements. And, and obviously, what they're going to have to do is to squeeze all those bits of data together and try and knit them together in a way that produces something that looks like we're used to from radar. And actually, if you look at the data, you know, I did scan two years ago versus today. You're not supposed to, but flipping it, everybody's going to do it. And you think, actually, it looks it looks like a normal radar. Some stations have gone down, some stations have gone up, but by and large, the share between the BBC and commercial is the same. The big players are the same. The big groups are the same. It doesn't look as though, on the surface at least, it's had any significant effect. I suspect some of the smaller players may have seen some dramatic shifts because if you've got panels, uh, panel data will either give you a potentially it could give you the same as a as a rolling sample but you you do stand a risk that if you're not in the panel your station is in the panel it's just never going to get any scores on the door whereas with a rolling sample well okay you weren't you didn't the Adari didn't land in one of your uh, stations this week but it might do next week so I think there are some changes there and I, and I know that Rajar are going to work those out of the system over time but I think they probably looks like they've done a pretty good job. Uh, and with the introduction of, of this kind of app data as well, it makes the audience research less about recall, which Rajar historically was. Is this a good thing? Well, I suppose you've got that thing of at least it's in some ways more accurate because you know what people are being exposed to and what they're actually in front of. And they, you don't have to have a DJ kind of screaming the name of the station every three minutes just in case one person in the area is listening and puts it into a diary. But it does beg the question of how much attention they're actually paying, because, of course, if you can remember enough further down the line to write it down, then it's probable that you were actually listening in a more engaged way. Of course, there's no real guarantee that someone's going to write down the correct name, because we've probably all done that thing, haven't we, where we've seen a, an advert on television for a car and we've told our friend, oh, did you see that advert for a Citroen and it was actually for a Peugeot or whatever? Um, so I suppose it's useful to have that data in the mix, but it would be important to be able to separate it out so that we know um, which type of record is which um, for ana analysing it more properly. Uh, because of the nature of stations and there are now so many kind of niche services or, or, or stations doing a different job, is quantity of audience the be-all and end-all of, of research? Is there something else that, that the sector should be doing? This brings me into a rant I have had for a number of years that one day I should turn into a blog post. But yes, I don't think measuring just pure numbers is is the only thing we should be looking at. So yes, it's useful to know how many you've got. But um, the BBC at one point, and I think sometimes in telly, do some rapid overnight appreciation index scores. So it's actually looking at how much your audience actually liked the programme, because that can give you some useful information in terms of if you have had something that's been played out at an unusual time of day, perhaps with a lower listenership, but that audience really loves it, then that can give you some hints about what to rebroadcast at a different time or to sell to advertisers it's kind of how podcasting works isn't it that you build up a really loyal audience who love what you do and I think with all of these numbers that go on you can get very much into the danger that you look at numbers and you try and reverse engineer your content based on 
data and you never allow people to actually make programs that are based in passion and creativity and you never find out what the audience actually really liked because a hundred thousand people who absolutely love what you're doing is quite a different prospect from two million who just have you in the background and it's a bit meh so i think we should be looking at a quality and appreciation score in our mix of figures and we should be looking at that as well as just the how big is it all of which brings us to the media quiz which this week it's entitled the media mystery voice a classic radio feature to end this special i'm going to play you a short clip you have to tell me who it is and why they're in the media news this week so there's three rounds buzz in with your name if you know the answer so Anne will say Anne, and phil will say phil so let's play the media mystery voice. Well, you can you can grow all sorts of things, can't you? Let's replay that clip for everyone. Well, you can you can grow all sorts of things, can't you? Phil. Okay, Phil. What was that's, the clip? That's that's the redoubtable Mike Graham on talk radio, uh, interviewing a uh, campaigner, one of the eco campaigners from. Um, insulate your loft or whatever they're called and and Mike managed to I think he was he was caught short because he asked this chap what he did for a living and the guy said I'm a carpenter and almost 99% of all jobs had Mike asked this chap what he was doing 99% of all other jobs Mike could then have found a way in. Oh, you drive a lorry for a living, do you? Or you work, you, you serve people steak, you know, so you, and you could have found a way of getting under the skin of the guy. But the guy was a carpenter. So he works with wood, you know, a naturally um, reproducible, uh, uh, non-energy intensive uh, technology. And, and I think it just literally floored him. And uh, it, this interview lasted a minute and he just sort of, he just ended it by saying, well, thank you very much, goodbye. I thought, and, and then for whatever reason, for whatever reason, somebody on talk radio decided that this was a clip worth circulating. I don't know whether they might knew they were going to circulate it, but uh, that that went viral because it was just such a funny piece of uh, piece of audio. Uh, yeah, Mike, this is Mike Graham on talk radio, where he also said that um, cement grows like trees grow, which um. Which, concrete, concrete, it was. sorry, concrete yes, grows, yeah. uh, which they've come up with some reason why that's true, but obviously. Um, maybe alternative facts um and should talk radio's bosses be delighted this has become a meme i mean the social media team definitely lent into it it, it was an unusual clip to highlight and share but i suppose it's worked because we're all talking about it now aren't we so it depends what their overall <laughs> goal is for their social media strategy all all, all pr is good pr <laughs> um okay let's hear clip number two and i, I can hear that uh, let's hear that again and I, I can hear that. Anne. Anne. Uh, that sounded like Laura Koonsberg. There are. Uh, it was Laura Koonsberg. Why has she been in the, the media news this week? Well, there are rumours in the Media Guardian, so it's almost definitely true, that uh, she'll be stepping down as BBC political editor in order to follow the well-worn path of then having to get up at stupid o'clock in the morning to present today on Radio 4. Uh, correct. Uh, Phil, it's 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 difficult time to leave that political editor job, isn't it? You know, there's always stuff happening. Is it the good a good time for her to move on? It's difficult, isn't it? Because th this talk about her going to do the Today programme, 
she'll be presenter six on the Today programme. And the number of people that they have, the rotation, the rosters, I, I personally think she's great on the TV. I, I actually love watching her as the political editor. I think some of the documentaries that she did around Brexit were absolutely fantastic. And I really will miss her um, because I think she genuinely is... I don't know which way she voted. I think she's a generally neutral person. I know there are people on the left and the right think she's on the other side and hate her for it, but I think she's great. And uh, and I will miss her being the, the BBC's political editor if she does step down. OK, let's hear clip number three. The time to change the nature of Channel 4 is now, Phil. before it falls over. OK, Phil, what's the clip? Oh, well, that yeah, that's, that's Michael Grade, isn't it, talking uh, about... Channel 4 and its potential privatisation, which he is in favour of, I think, and whether he's in favour of it being owned by a giant American conglomerate or not, I don't know, but I know he's generally in favour and interestingly argues that the, the the very thing that set it apart and made it brilliant when it was, when it was launched is something holding it back now. And, and I, I think he may very well have a point there that Channel 4 doesn't own its IP, uh, it, it can't compete for content in the same way that the, the other players around now can, and therefore I think there's some 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 merit in the argument. I mean, there's been some rumours that he himself might be part of uh, one of the bids uh, for Channel Four. So Michael Grade, he sits on the government's public service broadcasting panel, which is kind of to say that he's got a bit of a role at Channel Four already. Isn't it a bit of a conflict of interest? Him um, maybe trying to swoop in and pocket it for a, a private equity company. I wouldn't want to say anything nasty about Michael Gray because he's obviously a member of the great, the good, and has done fantastic things. But conflict of interest is almost his middle name. I don't mean that in a nasty way, but he's jumped from the BBC to the commercial sector, back to the BBC, back to the government, back to being a regulator, back to being a broadcaster. So often it's difficult to see you know, how anything couldn't be a conflict of interest, really, given the, the his background. But uh, you know, at the end of the day... He's he's older than me and David Lloyd, so he you know, if, if we can do it and he wants to have another go, then maybe he can do it too. Uh, thanks, Phil. Well, with two answers correct, that makes you the media quiz winner. Do I get a trophy? Yep, it's in the post. Absolutely, definitely. OK. Uh, that's our show for today. And my thanks to Anne Charles, Phil Riley and Stig Abel. If you've enjoyed this episode, why not bung us the price of a gin and tonic at the Groucho? Just head to themediapodcast.com slash donate. And of course, follow us to hear new episodes when they drop on your podcast app of choice. Uh, if you don't have one, just subscribe at podfollow.com slash themediapodcast and it will send you somewhere useful. Uh, my name is Matt Deegan. You can find my weekly newsletter about the audience industry and more at mattdeacon.com jeez i've got to write another thing tonight uh the producer was matt hill it was a rethink audio and ppm production we'll see you in a fortnight planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.